uh, one more thing before we get into the Word, and that is a few months ago, I began to ask the Lord, actually I say months, it's probably been a couple of years now, but I, asked, I began to ask the Lord, and I believe it was at the stirring of His Spirit in me to ask, what does the cross look like to you? What did you see at Calvary, Lord? Because we all have our own imaginations that we really shouldn't have. We should just have the picture that the Word shows us. But even when we see what the Word shows us, we still have pictures in our minds. We all do. If I say apple, you just imagined an apple in your mind. So when we say the cross of Christ, everybody has a picture in their mind of the cross of Christ. And I begin to ask the Lord sometime back, Lord, show me what you saw at Calvary. And the Lord began to show me what he saw at Calvary in the Word. Not some weird, spooky thing. If he's going to show you something, it's going to be in the Word. Amen. Not some cloud or some tree shaped a certain way or some spooky thing. We're, we get all caught up in superstition. That's not of God. We hear something in the back of the house or we thought we saw something down the hall and we, we're so foolish, we'll start saying, I wonder if that was an angel. Well, what do you think the angel's doing back there? Playing tiddlywinks, jumping across the hall? That's just, we're just so superstitious. If it's not the truth, it's not God. Amen. And the Lord began to show me the writings of Peter, and where Peter wrote, and this is not what I'm ministering this morning, I just feel led to share it with you, that the Lord began to show me in the writings of Peter how Peter wrote that when Christ was reviled, he did not revile back. When he was suffering on the cross, he did not threaten the men who were causing his suffering. But the Bible says that he did respond. But he responded through a perfect humility and a perfect obedience. And this is what he was doing in response to his suffering on Calvary's cross. Peter writes this, that he was committed, he committed himself, he was trusting completely in the righteous judgment of his father. Peter wrote that. Instead of reviling and threatening back, he was simply committed to his father's righteous judgment. And that's the righteousness of God is what led Jesus to the cross. Amen. And the righteousness of God is what he offers to you through your faith in the cross. Yeah. And it's what he makes you. It's what he robes you in. It's what he sets your feet on the path of. It's what he's going to be ruling according to when he comes. Amen. Amen. It's what his, all his words are found in righteousness. Before we dig into the word this morning, let me remind you one more time, and I've probably done this here before, that the key to everything you need to know about God is within his righteousness. The key that unlocks all the mysteries of God, at least as it pertains to who He is in you, who you are in Him, how to live, where to walk, how to walk, is all in righteousness. It's all there. It is all 
in righteousness. We need to remember that. Amen. John chapter 7 this morning. Thanks for having us. It is a a great place to be on a Sunday morning right here at Determined Church. All I can say is don't miss a Sunday. Don't miss a Thursday. It's not some legalistic thing. It's a grace thing. Hallelujah. It ain't some legal thing. It's a grace thing. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. Hallelujah. We don't have to give to God. We get to give to God. We don't have to worship. We get to worship. Hallelujah. We get caught up our old flesh, man. It'll start making excuses. We have prayer every Monday night at home. Can I be honest? I never want to go to prayer. My flesh don't want to go to prayer. Your flesh don't want to be here this morning. But you're a new creation in Christ, and that new man wants to be here. That new man wants to go to prayer. That new man wants to be found giving to God. Hallelujah. Amen. John chapter 7 this morning, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in that day before Jesus died and was resurrected. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit on occasion. Let me change that. They didn't have the permanent ever-abiding presence of God in them until Jesus died and was raised from the dead and literally seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost to, to save these people, to make them born again because they weren't even born again until the Holy Spirit came. They were believers and they were saved as all were under the old covenant, but they were not born again until Jesus died. And see, you can't be born again until the Holy Spirit is able to indwell you permanently. Amen. Amen. Nobody in the Old Testament was ever in the sanctification process as you and I are. Amen. But he was talking about when he says, if you're thirsty, come unto me and drink. And he that believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's going to be as living waters to those that believe on him as the scriptures have said. And I want to point out a couple of things here this morning. Number one, you got to be thirsty. If you're not thirsty, you're not going to be drinking. Nobody's drinking if they're not thirsty. Number two, if you are thirsty, you got to be careful and you got to know the truth of the scriptures or you'll be drinking something that's not of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was in ministry for years, for years 
it's, this has been over 20 years ago, but we were in all that flaked out stuff out there where men were putting people in the floor and mashing and pressing on them saying, oh, drink, oh, drink. And there was nothing being spoken of about Christ crucified, nothing spoken of about the cross. It was just all about some experience at, at, at what we call the altar at the front of a church. Amen. It was all about some experience. I watched a video the other day of a man named Reinhard Bonnke, who has a great famous name among the church people. But he was talking on the video about how he received the anointing. And it was not true. You do not receive the anointing through some experience that takes place. You receive the anointing, which your Bible says is the truth. That's the anointing. It's not this. The anoint, how many Bible believers we got in here this morning? You got to be a Bible believer or you're going to get carried off. Amen. So he begins to tell this story about this interpreter who fell down and started crying beside him. And, and all the time he's got this music playing in the background. And all these things are trying to move you, really just to get you to follow him. Because if we're not pointing to Calvary, we can only be pointing to ourselves. Amen. The cross is where you met God. It's where God saved you. It's where He immersed you into the death of His Son. It's where He promises you wisdom and power every moment of your life. you got to understand these things. If you don't, you'll be carried off by money-hungry preachers. Amen. So you got to be thirsty, but there's a lot of people who are thirsty, but they don't know the cup from which you have to drink. There's only one cup God offers you drink, and that is the cup of salvation. And in that cup is the blood of Jesus. Jesus in the chapter before this tells us that if you don't drink his blood and eat his flesh, you have no life. And we learn from the New Testament that this eating and drinking is not just a one-time deal. The first time you tasted of the Lord, you, you ate of his flesh and you drank his blood, what he's referring to is believing with the heart unto what he did on the cross when he suffered in his flesh and shed his blood. He's talking about that. That's how we eat his flesh and drink his blood. And by the way, when, when preachers, I mean, you know, and we might do this, but it's not really correct. The people in John chapter 6 did not leave Jesus and go home when he began to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They continued to follow him until he said, you can't come to me unless my father draw you. That's what sent them home, not the confusion about the blood and the body, the flesh. They continued to follow him until he told them, no, you can't come to me unless my father draw you. They did not believe he was from their heavenly father from heaven, and that's why they went home. Read your Bible, you'll see that's when it happened. So first of all, you have to be thirsty. But just because you're spiritual thirsty, and I believe everybody on the whole planet is spiritually thirsty, because if you're lost, you're dried up. You're like a parched desert. And everybody is without the Holy Spirit. 
And, and once you're saved, you're still required to drink. Because here he's promising the Holy Spirit being given, but not just given, but the Holy Spirit becoming rivers of living water flowing, what did he say, from your inner being, your belly. This is something that keeps happening. Where are the living waters in the church today? That's not just a big entertaining show on a Sunday morning. Where are the living waters? The moving of the Holy Spirit. We see in the scriptures that Jesus taught that the only way it's going to happen is if you're believing on Him as the scriptures have spoke of Him. Not as the scriptures have spoke of something else. The, live, the, the Holy Spirit typified here as living waters allowed to move in us and keep us inwardly satisfied is based on what we're doing with the scriptures in the light of Jesus and what he did for us at Calvary. Because the Holy Spirit couldn't be given without Jesus being glorified. That means what he would do at Calvary there at the cross is where he glorified his heavenly Father and where his heavenly Father glorified him. At the cross is where he stamped his glory on his Son in his dying. And God the Father said... That is what I'm going to make all those who believe in me conformable to. That, not his resurrection, not that. I'm making everybody who knows me conformable to the death of my son. Because in the death of my son, I saw a perfect humility without flaw. I saw a perfect obedience without flaw. I saw a man finally, after all these 4,000 years, trusting in me with all, all, all of his heart and my righteous judgment. And that is what I'm making all those who know me conformable to that image. Not a bloody, gory mess uh, hanging on a cross, but to what God saw at Calvary. Perfect humility, perfect obedience, uh, someone not threatening back those who were hurting him. But his response was to his heavenly Father. I'm trusting in your righteousness, your judgment of righteousness that brought me here, that's going to get me through here, that the, the grave, the, 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 this is, the, I'm not even going to see corruption. Oh, that's what the Bible says about Jesus, that his, his son won't even see corruption. That's what you're being made conformable to. That's why you have to keep beholding the Lamb. When you take your eyes off the Lamb, you, you move out of the process. Your troubles are not conforming you into the image of Jesus. Lost people got troubles. Uh, Spirit-filled Christians got troubles. Unfilled Christians got troubles. Everybody's got troubles. And everybody's suffering. The lost world suffering without Jesus. Uh, Christians who don't know how to live, they don't know their faith has to every moment be in the sacrifice of Christ. They're suffering. A Christian who does know the answer for the way to live for God, 
God who is fighting the good fight of faith to maintain that faith in the death of Jesus, they're suffering. Suffering is inevitable. What you need to understand is you get to choose which suffering you're going to partake of. And when the things of this world squeeze in on you and you begin to suffer because of these things, you can reach for where Christ suffered and find your fellowship with Him in His suffering. Hallelujah. And there the sufferings of this world. Glory be to God. You won't even count them worthy to be compared to your fellowship with your Savior in His suffering. Glory be to God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. If any man thirst, are you thirsty? Amen. Let him come to me, not the Pharisees, not the denominational world, not the famous preacher's names. Let him come unto me. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, you got to get to me. Amen. Amen. And our only way to get to Jesus is through faith in his shed blood. It count, that's the only way you can get to Jesus. I ask our people for years, what's the woman with the issue of blood got to do with you? You can't touch the hem of his garment. She literally pressed through a crowd of people, which was really unlawful for a woman to be doing, much less a bleeding woman, unclean to be doing. But she did it anyway, and she was literally able to grab the hem of his garment. You can't. You can't. Your touch on Him is your heart yielded to His obedience that's unto righteousness for you. Romans 6, that, Romans 6.16, that's where you touch the Lord at Calvary. You don't touch Him anywhere else. You're not touching the Lord anywhere else. But you can touch Him every time your heart yields to what He did for you. There's where your union with your Lord is. There's where your fellowship is. And He says, if that's where you're believing on me, as the Scriptures have said, then rivers, look at this, not some little stream, river. Have you ever stood by a river? Rivers of living water are going to flow out of your belly. That means you're going to have the movement and the operation of the Holy Spirit in your life working in you and through you, whether you're sitting in a worship service or whether you're out in the field drilling for oil or pouring concrete or welding. It don't matter or in a working wherever you're working, you might be making a lemon cake and at home in the kitchen. Oh, but your mind be stayed on the Lord. It don't matter where you are or what's going on. On. If you're believing on Jesus, as the scriptures have said, he's working in you and on you by his spirit. That's a promise you have. That's a promise you have. And he won't change the way he functions. He won't change the way he operates. Uh, he won't change the way he does what he does just because our culture has changed. Just because our time has changed. Just because most people don't want to hear anything about the cross doesn't mean that God's going to bend and do it your way. You're either in his way or you're out all the way. He doesn't bend. He won't change. The Bible says He is unchangeable. 
He can't change. If he does, that means he wasn't perfect to begin with. He's perfect. That's why he don't need to change. His plan of redemption is perfect. That's why he won't alter it for me. He'll offer it to me, but he won't alter it for me. I'll come in the one way he's opened the door, through the death of Jesus, or I'll miss God altogether. He won't open another door. There will never be another door. Even when he comes and we come with him at the end of the great and awful tribulation and he saves that remnant of Israel that's coming very soon in the days ahead, he's not going to save them in a different way. They're going to see the scars, the marks on his hands and his his body and they're going to ask him. This is in Zechariah chapters 13 and 14. What are those holes and what are those marks? What are those scars? will say, I was wounded in my in, in the house of my friends. And they're going to accept him as the king. He's always been to them. Finally, they're going to accept him and they're going to be saved. But they're not going to be saved through no other way than the way you're saved. Amen. There's only one name that brings salvation. And that's the name of Jesus. The name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is what we gather in church to hear about. The pulpit needs to be full of the message of Jesus. And what makes the message about Jesus is what he did at Calvary. Do you know that we, we spend, we, we need to know all the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, do we not? Yes, we do, because he lived a perfect and sinless life. And he had the most powerful ministry that there's ever been. He, he, he said in John 8, 29, I believe it is that, uh, that he always pleased the Father. You understand how powerful that statement is? For the Father to be pleased, there always has to be faith. And Jesus said, I always please the Father. That means there was never a moment that he wasn't living by faith, speaking by faith. Never a moment. He never did anything in his entire life because he felt like he should. Everything Jesus did, he did as a man being led by the Spirit that was telling him what the Father desired. Jesus said, I don't say a word unless I hear my Father say it. I don't do any work unless I see my Father do it. The works you see me doing, they're not mine, they're my Father's. He said, I always please the Father. Not most of the time. There was never a moment that Jesus did not please his Father. Never a moment that he did not live by a perfect faith. Never a moment. And that's why when you're trusting in him and what he did for you at Calvary, you're functioning by his faith. Amen. The Bible tells us that, right? In Galatians 2.20, the life we live now in this flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Everybody say, I love love Jesus. Jesus. Everybody say, I love love Jesus. Jesus. Oh, how about about all them little ones back there? How about all you little ones today? Y'all help me now. We got to be louder than them old people now, okay? Y'all little young folks? We got to be louder than all us. Okay, everybody say, "I love." I love. No, not you old folks. <laughs> Just the young folks. Oh, I know y'all thought y'all was young. That okay? Y'all ready? Y'all going with this one? All right, everybody. Everybody say, "I love." I love. 
Jesus. Okay, that was good, but now we got to do it louder. Everybody say, I love. I love. Let's try it one more time. I love. I love. Jesus. Jesus. My goodness, Grace. Just keep saying, I love Jesus. Now, there ain't no power in that. But my goodness, there is a message in that. Woo! Somebody say, what you doing today? I love Jesus. They'll think you're weird, and you are compared to them. But who we know who the weird ones really are. Amen. Amen. You need a pen, don't you? I asked my wife. Her ink pen went out. I ask her after church all the time. Read your notes. What's your notes? She takes good notes. I could preach and then read her notes and preach them again. <laughs> Number one, you got to be thirsty. Number two, you got to know from where to drink. There's only one cup. Jesus drank of that cup so we could drink of that cup. Isaiah said we dr- we draw with joy the waters from the wells of salvation. I said this in the message at home Wednesday night. I'd never even thought of it till I was ministering, but it was powerful to me. It, 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 when I made that comment about what Isaiah said, I said that all through the Old Testament, there's this well of salvation. And down there, in where, the well of salvation, deep. Oh, my goodness. We don't have a clue of all this salvation we have means yet. But it is a deep well. And I believe that it started in Genesis and they were pulling that water up. They were pulling that. They were pulling that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament. And all of a sudden, there's that cup of salvation. Man, it comes out. See, the Old Testament was a big message of somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Oh, keep pulling up from that well of salvation. Oh, somebody's coming that's going to drink of this cup for for us. And man, when that that cup was drank up on Calvary's cross, Jesus drank of that cup. You remember the disciples said uh, something about, are we going to get to drink of that same cup? And Jesus said, oh, you going to drink of it all right. And they did, and they all suffered and died because they drank of that cup. And you're going to suffer for drinking of that cup. You're going to suffer the loss of relationships. You might suffer the loss of jobs. I'm not talking about things that happen to everybody. I'm talking about suffering for persecution's sake, for righteousness' sake, because you are standing on the scriptures testifying of Jesus. Not testifying of this and the clouds and and all these people on YouTube now. And and boy, every night on the news, the next day, these folks got, oh, I'll show you where that, what he said. If it ain't about Jesus, they're off track. Jesus is the living word. What does that mean? That means the word cannot live in your heart if it's not Jesus being revealed to you by his spirit in your heart. Words are just words, but the words that are the word of God came to life in the person of Jesus. 
And that word was tested at Calvary to prove God's word cannot fail. God's word has never failed and will never fail. So number one, we got to get past this here. Help me. We got to be thirsty. But you got to know where to drink. And that's Jesus. But that ain't just saying the name Jesus. That ain't going to church. Well, I drank. I went to church. No. You drink if you're thirsty. And if you're thirsty, what you drink are the scriptures as they testify of Jesus. Amen. Amen. But Jesus says here, and I do believe, and you may differ on this, but I do believe when he makes this comment, I believe it means all the scriptures as they testify on him. But specifically here is he is relating believing on him and it meaning If you believe on me as the scriptures have spoken of me, rivers of living water will what? Flow out of your belly. Your belly. This will be your experience. So I believe that he specifically is speaking of a story where he was the type and a shadow of this, what was about to happen at Calvary in Exodus 17. If you'd like to look this morning at this beautiful story with me. Exodus chapter 17. How many of you know the New Testament says that in the Old Testament, the rock the rock that followed the nation of Israel was Christ? That rock was Christ. He is considered the rock of our salvation. The unmovable rock upon Jesus said, if you build your house, the storm can't blow it away. When the storm's gone there, you'll still be standing on the rock. That's, that, that, that is a great truth that we have to learn that if we just stand on the truth of Christ crucified, no matter what storm we're in, when that, when the winds stop blowing and, and the storm is over, we'll still be standing in the place He planted us, which is in the likeness of His death. That rock, it ain't gonna move and anything on it that chooses to keep believing in what it was that put them on the rock Can't get blown away. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. Bear with me for a few verses, not many, but just about seven or eight this morning. And the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now, I want you to know it wouldn't have been a good thing to be Moses, I don't think. It was good for him because that's who he was. (laughs) But every time something went wrong, just like pastors, every time something goes wrong, and God's not doing what we think he ought to do, the people turned and began to chew on Moses, contend with Moses. And he says, you're really contending with the Lord. You're really tempting the Lord. And let me say this while the Lord's pouring it into my heart this morning. All through the Old Testament, their journeyings, the people of God would fall off along the way. 
So don't be surprised when people come along who are a blaze of glory for the message of the cross, and then all of a sudden one day they're gone. Because people all through the old covenant, people would fall off. They would just not, you know, you remember the stories of people rising up, three families. Who was it? Dathan, Abiram, and Korah. They rose up and said, we just as holy as you, Moses and Aaron. In other words, we could be ruling just like you. Probably they were thinking, instead of you. And that's when God said, every man bring a, a, a staff from his, from his tribe and put it in that tin over there. And sure enough, the next morning, God showed them who was in charge. And it's the ones he chose to be in charge, meaning Moses and Aaron. And Aaron's rod didn't just uh, uh, bud, but it flowered and bare almonds. A miracle. God worked to show them who the authority was. But my point is, all through the stories of Israel traveling along through the promised land, people would just fall out. They'd fall off. They'd want to do it their way. And you're going to experience that in the church age too. I encourage you, stay planted. In the truth of Christ and Him crucified, and in a church that's focused and boasting in nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Amen. 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 So he says here, and after the people started griping at Moses, and Moses said, Why chide you with me? And wherefore do you tempt the Lord? In verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses. Why? Because they didn't have what they thought they needed. And you do need water. And sometimes you do have needs and they're there. And it's obvious you have a need, but you just got to keep being still and looking at the salvation of God. Amen. Not your needs. The salvation of God. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? It's like getting in a cross-preaching church like the one you're in today. It's like getting in a cross-preaching church and, and you start telling people about this and they start getting away from you or they start talking bad about you. And you're like, you go talk to the preacher and say, Well, I didn't know everybody was going to start disliking me. I didn't know everybody's going to start getting away from me. I didn't know what I, I was just going to be everybody I, like I got the plague or something now talking about the cross all the time. Let me remind you God ain't talking about nothing that don't involve the cross. Hebrews 12, 24 and 25 says that he speaks from heaven through the blood. If you ain't hearing him through the blood, you ain't hearing him. You can read the Bible and see what it says and not be hearing God. To hear God, he speaks from heaven through the work of his son on Calvary's cross. That shed blood. It's the blood that's speaking, the Bible says. You got a Bible? How many Bible believers we got? It's the blood that's speaking. It ain't just some, oh, I think I heard God. You get in the Word, the Bible, you'll hear from God if you let Him point you to Calvary. Man, yes. That's where you first heard Him. That's where you first believed in Him. That's where you took your first step in the Spirit. That's why the church is warned. Don't leave your first love. Don't leave your first works. Your first works were the works He began in you. Your first works are considered the work He began in you. 
Because any work that's not what he's doing is just a work of the flesh. Somebody say, I love love Jesus. Let's read verse 3 again. We're going somewhere this morning. I hope you'll arrive there with me. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with you the elders and your rod, wherewith you smote the river, take in your hand and go. Behold, this is the Lord now. Behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb. Now let's get this. The Lord is telling Moses, I'm going to stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb, and you shall smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. Now, the rock is Christ. No, he, he, no, listen, Jesus is not some petrified thing. He's actually not even an animal lamb. Those things are type and shadow of who he is in provision to his people. Amen. Amen. And he te- now we've got to read this again because I believe this is although the all the scriptures Jesus said testify of him. Can I get a witness? Amen. He said all the scriptures testify of him. But when he's talking about rivers of living water in you because the Holy Spirit will be given to you based on your believing on him as the scriptures have said, and that meaning after he's glorified through what he would do at the cross, I believe it specifically points back to this story where he says, the Lord told Moses, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb, and you shall smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. Jesus is the smitten rock. He was pierced on Calvary's cross so that our sins and our trespasses could be forgiven. Washed clean. And when he was pierced, not only blood came out, but water came out of him. That's what the Bible says. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now watch this. Oh, it's about to get real special this morning. And he called the name of the place Massah, which means tempted, because that's where they tempted the Lord. And he also called it Meribah, however you say that. Us Texas folks, we're never going to get these words right. He called the name of this place Meribah, which means contention, where they were in contention with the Lord. Because of the chiding, meaning the contesting and the controversial griping and murmuring that was going on there of the children of Israel. And listen carefully. And because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? I want you to see this this morning. Oh, Lord, let us see this today. 
Their main question was, is God even among us or is he not? After all God had done for them, and they're still wondering if God was among them. Is God among us or not? The answer to that question is the pierced rock. Is God here this morning in this room? How do I know He is? Because Jesus said, If you gather together in my name, you don't have to wonder if I'll be there. I'll be there. But I wanted you to see that this. I just saw this recently in the Scriptures, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to this. The question, is God among us or is He not? Or, who is He among? Well, He's always with you, whether you're believing right or not. But let me say this. His, just because you have His presence does not mean you have His approval. Yes. That's right. Matter of fact, he can be grieved with me. But he's still there. People get up and preach and teach these days that God no longer angry just because what Jesus, the Bible said God's angry with the wicked every day. And he will show up in my life, in your life, if my fruit is not that of what Jesus did at Calvary. How do I know that? Because in Antioch, Peter is eating Gentile food that he would never eat before with the Gentiles there. But he gets wind of some men coming from Jerusalem. And he gets up and gets away from them chicken leg eaters. (laughs) Get this now. He becomes a respecter of persons. The Bible says in Galatians 2, he, he becomes a hypocrite. Before these men from Jerusalem who are coming, who still believe you got to be circumcised to be saved, and he feared them, and he moved, he let them, and that fear that entered his heart move him away from those he'd been in fellowship with through faith in the blood alone. Yep. He got wind of them men from Jerusalem coming. He got away from them because he feared man. The Bible says in more than one place that the fear of man is a snare. It'll trap you. And when that happened, the Apostle Paul stood up. And he writes this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I had to confront them, Peter, face to face. And this was the message. It was not go get filled with the Holy Ghost and everything will be all right. You need to get refilled with the Holy Ghost. You need to speak in tongues. Thank God for all that. I I, I had it all day, every day. Hallelujah. But it ain't your answer for fruit bearing. 
Because Peter was justified already. He was made righteous already. He'd already been filled and spoke with tongue and tongues and preached on Pentecost and saw 3,000 people saved. And God continued to use him there even in Antioch. But when he was moved away from a fellowship from those who were trusting only in the blood and moved toward those who, who weren't, still weren't sure and was not accepting just faith in the blood, it moved him away into a place of hypocrisy. And the message to Peter from Paul was this. You know that we're not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. You see that? God is interested in our fruit bearing. And if it is not right, that means we're not drinking from the right cup. We might be as faithful to a church. We might be giving more money than anybody. We might be praying more than anybody. But if you're not drinking out of that one cup, and you don't drink out of the cup by what you do. Your first drink of the cup is your example of the only way you will ever drink of the cup. And it was your heart trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary. If you move away from that, even though you say, well, I still believe all that, but we also, no, 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 you're, you're not drinking anymore. You're still thirsty, but you're trying to quench your thirst somewhere else. And then you'll be in a group of people that say, yeah, we believe in the cross, but we don't believe like them over there where it's got to be your focus and uh, you all wait, just all the scriptures in the light of Jesus and what did it Calvary? God says, why do you think that? Why do you think that all the scriptures don't have to be in the light of the Lamb? Why do you think you can drink from some other cup other than the cup offered to you at the cross of Christ? This is what we know from these stories we've read this morning. We know God is among us because He lives in us. But just because He lives in us does not mean we're in fellowship with Him. As I said yesterday morning in one of the sessions, the church in Laodicea, they're saved and spirit-filled, but yet Jesus is on the outside. They have His Spirit. But he's not in fellowship with them. Let me say it again. They have his spirit because they're saved, but he's not in fellowship with them. Who's going to start drinking from the cup again? Who's going to start looking to the lamb again? Because when they do, this door comes open. We know he's talking about... We know the reason he's not in fellowship with them is because they're eating from a table he can't partake with them on. He says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup. That, that word means dine with them. Amen. So is the Lord among us? Yes, he's among us. But his answer and his proof that he's among us is the pierced rock and the living waters that we have flowing in us. Not that we just have in us, but that they're flowing in us. We are being satisfied. Our satisfaction is not in who likes us. Our satisfaction is not in how many people come to church. We can be encouraged by those things, but our satisfaction takes place within us at the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit that will not happen if our faith is not touching the sacrifice of Christ. 
You can have his spirit. You can be born again and on your way to heaven if you fell out of that chair dead today. But your heart must be yielded to the sacrifice of Christ. It's your only answer. God's not going to give you another answer for your marriage issues, for your attitude issues. God's not going to bring to you another answer, another way. The cross of Christ is your answer for everything. There is no other answer from heaven for anything you want to lay before God. There's nothing that you having a problem with that the answer is not what his son provided through his death at Calvary. But there, most all preachers this morning will preach different Jesuses. Many Jesuses being preached. The Jesus that don't care if you're living in sin. The Jesus that don't care if you, if you want to be a woman if he made you a man or a man if he made you a woman. All those Jesuses out there. There are many Jesuses. There are many things being preached that the enemy wants you to look at as it's the gospel. But if it's not the good news of the death of Jesus, it's not good news that comes from heaven. Mm. I thought this was very special. That the answer to the question, is the Lord God among us or not? They were already God's people. They already had his leading. He brought them out of Egypt. A lot of Christians think that God saved Israel in Egypt. They were already God's people. Israel, being in Egypt and coming out of Egypt, was a type of deliverance for God's people. And how did he deliver them? Not by the plagues, not by all the miracles, but by the blood being put on the doorpost. God ain't going to do nothing without that blood. Amen. He's not going to do nothing without that blood. If you just, you know, you, Moses had a wife. Wasn't it Moses had a wife? And she just, you and your bloody y'all. There's a lot of people in the church today. Just all y'all want to talk about is the cross. And I'm like, go ahead and testify. Say it one more time. They say it about you. Y'all are still stuck at Calvary. I'm, say it one more time. I'm stuck at the place where the rivers of living water flow. I promise you, saints, you're not going to walk up and some preacher in his all beautiful, elegant singing voice or the way he talks, hallelujah, start grabbing you all over and call out a move of God. If it ain't got nothing to do with the blood, you're not going to drink. You're going to drink of a bad cup and you're going to be poisoned. And the longer you're away from the true cup, the more you're going to refuse to ever hear about the true cup. Is the Lord God among us or not? The proof of that is are you drinking out of that pierced rock? That was the answer to this question. Is the Lord God among us or not? God says, I'm going to get him. I'm going to bring water. I'm going to pierce. I'm going to... God said, I'm going to stand on the rock that you're going to strike. God's standing on the truth of his son at Calvary's cross. The only place water can flow out of and into you. And you can have this assurance that God is not only among us, but that he is showing us he is among us. I don't need no outward sign. I got an inward sign. Amen. Yes. 
If you're looking for outward signs, bless your little old darling heart. The new covenant is not about an outward sign. You are a new creation in Christ. The world can't see it. You are a new man. And that new man is hidden in you. The new covenant is not about... The only outward things the new covenant is about is the fruit of what He's doing in you. There's so many flaky and nutty things out there today, you just, you wouldn't believe it. Or maybe you've done been a part of it like we have. 99.9, you're not going, I don't know how you deal with this, but I promise you, you keep looking at the Scriptures in the light of Jesus and what He did at Calvary, you're going to learn it's true. 99.9999999% of everything out there is pointing you away from the cross and not to it. This little church here needs to be packed out. All I'd ask you is what the Lord's asking you. Do your Part. Do your part. Your part is to be here to edify them, and your part is to be here to edify them, and together we function as the living body of Christ that can't function without these living waters, that we can't partake of unless we're exclusively boasting in the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm not talking about singing about it and then pointing away from it through what we're preaching. I'm talking about singing about it, talking about it, preaching and teaching about it, boasting it. The Bible says God forbid we boast in anything but the cross. That's Galatians. Where is that? 6.14. God forbid. How many Bible believers have we had any drop off this morning? God says He forbids. That means He won't have it. He won't function in anything that's not a boast in the cross. So all that boasting and everything else, even the blessings of God are not to be boasted in. God forbids we boast in anything other than the cross that crucified us to the world and the world to us. Glory be to God. Somebody say, I love Jesus. Amen. I better quit. We'll be here till supper time. We'll call it a fast and just keep going. <laughs> I sure do love you folks. I love you pastors. I love you with the love of God. And it is the love of God that we love each other with. If it weren't for Jesus and the love of Christ in our hearts, we couldn't love each other. Even on our best day, trying hard because we know we should, without the love of Christ, it won't work. But with the love of Christ, everything that's God's will.